I brought an object lesson on just to begin our message today because uh, thinking about things that are too good to be true, uh, you can experience that when you go places, or at least you can be challenged to um, resist the, the invitation to buy that which is so helpful for you if it, if, if it really can do what it promises to do. Uh, anybody been to the Orange County Fair this year? Anybody, anybody ever been to a fair? Okay. And one of the things you have in the fairs is all kinds of things you go there to enjoy. Some of it's just to watching the people eat things they shouldn't eat. You know, they, whatever it might be, the, the, the uh, deep-fried, chocolate-covered, batter-covered butter or Snickers bar or whatever it might be. There's all kinds of things you can eat there you probably shouldn't eat, but it sure is tempting to try and to see, if it, is it as good as it claims to be? But, yeah, you know, there's all kinds of, um, you know, exhibits and uh, one of the things they do at the Orange County Fair every year is they, they race pigs. Anybody seen the pig racing things? It's just, just fascinating to see which pig is going to cross the finish line first. Uh, but one of the things, you can go into exhibits, and they're trying to sell you things, right? And there's all kinds of exhibitors, and, and there's some tempting things to, to buy, particularly if, uh, if you have a need in your house or need in your life where it's not quite being met, and you're thinking, well, maybe I, if I just purchase this, all my problems will be solved. Well, Alice and I went on Friday. We went on Friday because, uh, in case you, don't, you aren't aware, on Fridays, uh, seniors get in a lot cheaper than other days, and I'm always ready for a good deal. So, so we went on Friday and went there, and we went through the exhibits, and the first time we went through, they said, we're not buying anything. We're just looking. But then we went back again, all right? And so we came by this one particular booth. I don't know if they call them a booth. And it was, they were, they were selling a, a Power Steam Pro. Now, what this particular item will do for you, and, and this is, uh, they, they demonstrated this, but this will remove wrinkles up to five times faster than ironing. Now, I know some of you just love to ironing. That's the highest uh, point of your week. But, but we were thinking, it, not only will it do it easier, it will do it better. And, and then it said this, it will steam close fast and easy, iron while it's hanging on the, on the, on, on the hanger. You don't, you don't even have to get out the... The ironing board, which takes the only job I do in the ironing process away from me. I don't have to bring out the ironing board. And so I'm thinking, this is a deal too good to pass up. And then it went on. It, this always appeals to me. It saves me money. You know, I won't have to take things into dry cleaning. And so actually, um, Alice is the one who, who, who bit the sales pitch. And um, the good thing, she kept delaying it. And so they reduced the price three times. And uh, that's always nice. But, but the more they reduce it, you're wondering, maybe this isn't quite as good a deal as we think it is. But, you know, you're just hoping. And, of course, they did a demonstration. And the, the wrinkled shirt became very, very uh, unwrinkled, I guess, iron-looking. Iron so we thought, well, maybe it'll work at home. But really, when I brought it home, there's some added advantages to this. This is amazing. It says about this iron, or the Power Steam Pro, that it will do facial steaming. You can do a facial massage. And here's what will happen after you are massaged by the Power Steam Pro. It will deep clean for a healthy skin. It will remove toxins. It will prevent blemishes. And here's the key point. It will reduce fine lines and wrinkles in your face. Now, I just want to, I just want to alert you uh, that I might come here on Sunday and, and I might look like I'm in my 20s. <laughs> and, it, and it won't be because I took, what? Yeah. <laughs> and it won't be because I took, uh, I always keep forgetting, what is the people the people inject? Botox. It won't be because I, I took some Botox because I, I had a facial massage from this too good to be true thing that we bought. 
you know, and, and so sometimes we, 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 we'll buy things and we'll, we'll, we'll get involved with some things because it just, it's too tempting. It, it just seems so good. And if, it's, if it can offer up half of what it, it says it will do, then it's worth the buy. And, and as people hear about Jesus, if they take a step before they, they, they make the plunge, they're going to think the same thing. You're saying that if I, I believe in Jesus, that my, my sins, everything that I've ever done wrong will be completely forgiven? Are you saying that a person like me who, who really is, is filled with shameful things that I've done and I'm, and I'm really, I experience guilt because I'm guilty, that, that, that God will take that all away and, and I won't face the judgment and punishment I deserve, but I'll, I'll go to heaven for eternity? That's just, that's just too good to be true. And, and, and people sometimes when they buy in to begin with, or at least make a nod to God, a, a, after they get in on it, they say, well, the, this can't be the way you're supposed to, to know God. And this is not the way you've got to live for God because I've got to do something. And the uniqueness things about Christianity, we've been sharing some of that in our series in, in cults and world religions, is the uniqueness of Christianity. It's not what we do, but what, what God has done, and particularly in focus on Jesus, what Jesus has done. And, and the reality is, and this is where, this is the, the part that really is humbling. The gospel does humble anyone who, who really comes to faith in him, because really what it's saying to you is that you're so bad, there isn't anything that you could offer God that he would accept. There is nothing that you could do that would make you uh, uh, lovable in God's eyes. You are so far from it that unless God reaches down and makes that bridge between that huge separation between us and a holy God, unless he did this, we would all be eternally facing judgment forever. And so there will be no proud people in heaven because only people realize how desperately we need the grace of God in our lives will experience the grace of God. But even as this message goes out, now as well as when it first launched onto the scene, as it was prefigured in the Old Testament and then experienced in the time of Jesus, and ever since then, people want to add to the message of Jesus. And so Paul writes a little letter to the book of Galatians. It's kind of the Reader's Digest of the book of Romans. So there are some emphases that are a little bit different in Romans and Galatians. But he's writing to them who have heard the gospel, but they're wanting to change it. And it's not our gospel, it's God's gospel. And so he, he's trying to emphasize the truth of what is the message of this book. What is the truth of the message of Jesus? How, how can we understand it in its simplicity and clarity so we know what we're applying to our lives? And so that's what we're going to look at today. And, and really the message of Christ is it's all through grace, by faith, through Christ, and all of those by grace, faith, and Christ alone. And, and the result of that is the verse that all of you have been diligently me- working on memorizing this past month, Galatians 5.1, is that we need to recognize that the message of Christ sets us free from trying to approach God through our own and efforts. And not only, not only sets us free from trying to approach Christ through our own efforts, realizing now to live it out. It's not what we do, but what Christ does in us and through us. So Galatians 5.1, it's in your outline this morning. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And we do it in our contemporary day when we, when we try and enforce on other people things that are not in this book and say, if you really love Jesus, this is how you will look, this is how you will live, this is, this is the things that will be typical of you, and it's the things that we bring, our own traditions, into the walk with Jesus. And really what was happening in that day, and in a much more heightened way, I guess you'd say a clear way, is that, that as the gospel went first to the which people? The Jewish people. And it was a, a Jewish message because Jesus was Jewish. I tell my Jewish friends, my favorite people in all the world are all Jewish. And they kind of look at me and I say, yeah, you know, Jesus, Paul, Peter, James, John, Abraham, all, the, all these were Jewish people. It, it, it went to the God's chosen people ethnically that was used in the Old Testament to get a picture of what happens when you really know the true God. And then the message was always for the purpose of blessing everybody. But when Jesus came, he changed literally everything because he was the fulfillment of all that God had promised in the past. And now they were to be set free. But what they thought, they, many in the Jewish faith, what, what, when they came and heard about Jesus, and they made at least a nod to God about this, they said, well, we understand that not all Jewish people are Christians. But all people who become Christians will become Jewish. I don't know if you quite caught the whole idea there. Is that not all Jewish people are Christians, but all people who become Christians will become Jewish. And what they meant by that is they will adopt all the laws of the Old Testament. They, they'll, they'll start eating kosher. They didn't eat kosher before, but now they'll eat kosher. They didn't worship on, on the Sabbath. Now they'll start working on the, worship on the Sabbath. They, they didn't follow the fine tunes of the law, but now they will. And, and how they dress and, and how they, they, they live in terms of approaching God through a, 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 an act of worship. And, and Paul is just is just amazed, and that's what Galatians begins with, that they are departing so soon from the simplicity and purity of the message of Jesus Christ. And what is that message? And, we, and it wasn't by accident that I gave part of my message twice in a couple of messages in Galatia. Can we explain simply the message of Christ? What is it? And the message of Christ is that God is knowable and he loves us. It begins there, doesn't it? But there's a problem, and the problem is that we are separated from God because of our sin. We are far from God. But that's why Jesus came. That's why God came. God the Son, Jesus, came, and he died on the cross to pay fully our sin. But we must respond. We must choose to turn around. That's what repentance is, and believe totally and completely that Jesus' payment on the cross is sufficient for us and that we can know him in a relational way. And they said, well, that, that, that's too easy. That's too simple. It, it can't be true. It's too good to be true. He said, that is the message. And they wanted to add to it. And, and so Paul had to compare, well, what is the gospel of grace, which I just shared with you, and what's the gospel of law? And now we're going to fall a little bit on the outline this morning. It's a little bit of a, a sermon before the sermon. But let me just give this in, in context of this little book called Galatians. What is the gospel of grace? The gospel of grace, and this is, this is almost too good to be true, you live, uh, and this is how you get to live. It's not what you get to do. It is what you get to do and want to do out of your love for Jesus. 
That, that's probably as simple as I say, well, how, how do you live the Christian life? The Christian life is lived this way. You get to do what you want and, and want to do because of your love for Jesus. Now, what's the gospel of law or the gospel of tradition or gospel, any other false gospel? It, it's, it's what you have to do to make sure that Jesus loves you. You understand the difference? You, you could put it a different way. You say, well, how do you get saved? It's what you get to do and want to do because Jesus saves you. What's the gospel of law? It's what you have to do to make sure Jesus saves you. It's Jesus plus works. The, the amazing thing that God does when we become a child of his is that he changes our wants to. He changes our desires. He said, this is the better way to live. Now, they were, they were struggling with it. What about all those laws in the Old Testament? And there weren't just 10. There were 613. What about all those things? And he said, you need to understand, Jesus fulfilled the law completely. Now, before he did, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. But when he fulfilled it, the, gospel, the, the law was no longer under the bondage for them to live out their life before him. And... and and he illustrated that in the book of Romans, which I said is kind of the, the elongated version of the book of Galatians. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Sometimes the Bible will use stories or illustrations to emphasize this. Look, look what he says in Romans 7, uh, verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. So he wasn't speaking to people who are ignorant, but he's saying, look it. You have tried to approach God through all these rules of the Old Testament, and the rules were given for a purpose, and the purpose was to convince you of your desperate need to know him, and you couldn't do it on your own. And then he makes an analogy uh, that the law had jurisdiction over a person as long as he lived. So if you were under a certain law, and we are under certain laws where, why we're alive in our country, and as long as we're alive, we have to, I mean, I'd just as soon not pay taxes on April 15th, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm under that law, and so are you. And then he makes an analogy in terms of a marriage relationship. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. He's not chauvinistic. You could turn it around as well. Uh, the the uh, husband is bound to his wife as long as she's alive. But if her husband dies, she is released. And it's an interesting word in the original language. It's katargeo, which means you're no longer obligated when your spouse dies concerning the husband. Now, I'm just stopping there for a moment in case you're not getting the analogy. You say, look at, I want you to understand how much we've been set free from the bondage of following ceremonial and civil laws of the Jewish nation for those who come into faith in Jesus Christ. It's like a marriage relationship. Now, when you are married, and I could show pictures of my marrying my my kids just recently, you know, Matt and Caitlin, but I won't, okay, is that once they said, I do, they were now obligated to each other, right? They are to live for each other. They're, they're, they are to live to be supportive and, and to be loving and to be uh, loyal completely to the person that they have married. That's, that's, their, that's their job, okay? Now, when one of them dies, are they under that same obligation? No. And in fact, if they remain that way, we would say there's something wrong right now in how you understand that marriage relationship, right? It's now been severed by death. Doesn't mean you don't love the memories of that person, that you don't care about them, 
But if you can't let that go, you'll be under bondage. And those of you who have lost loved ones, you, you understand that, 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 that turmoil, but you, you've, you've got to move on or you'll never continue to have a healthy life. And what he's saying, you've been cut free from that. And in case you don't quite get that, move on to verse 6 in Romans 7. He says this, But now we have been released, katergeo, we have been set free. We are no longer under obligation from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness, oldness of the letter. And wasn't that what was just sung this morning about? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is power, there is love, there is light, there is joy. But if you are holding on to that which has been severed, has died, it's like you're, you're dragging with you a weight you should not be carrying. And so what Paul says in Galatians 5.1, a summary of the book, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. To that will not bring life, only bondage. And I put it this way in your outline. It, Jesus completely fulfilled the law, and we are no longer under obligation to live by it. We have a new law, but it's interesting. In James 1.25, that new law is called a law of liberty, a law that sets us free. We no longer follow the civil and ceremonial law of the Old Testament, but only the moral law repeated in the New Testament because of our love for Christ. Now, if you're not catching the emphasis that I, I really believe the Bible teaches clearly, there is nothing in the Old Testament that we're held accountable to. We, we are not. There, there, the Ten Commandments are, are a great teaching that we can learn from it, but we are not to be called to obedience to the Ten Commandments. We're called to be obedient to Jesus. We're called to be, be obedient to the principles in the New Testament. And there are different laws. I mean, some are moral and some are civil and ceremonial. But, but anything that's not repeated from the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are no longer obligation to live out. Trust me, if that were true, most of you uh, here are not dressed right. You got some mixed, you got some mixed things in your clothing that was not allowed in the Old Testament. And trust me, in the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments that's not repeated in the New Testament is the law of the Sabbath. And it was interesting, what Jesus was accused of more than anything else was breaking the, the Sabbath. And he said the Sabbath was not, was not made for... It was, that one, it, was, it was made by God, but it was made for man. And, and, and clearly, Paul, another passage in the New Testament, said, look at, I don't care which day you worship on. I just want you to worship. And there's a principle of having rest, but we're not called to, to worship on Sabbath. And any of the dietary laws, when, when Peter went to Cornelius, and, and, and he, I mean, he, was, he was shocked by the, all the food that was coming down, all the animals, and, he, and, and God very plainly said, everything's now kosher. Everything's now clean. And so we have been set free from an, a, a law written on tablets. And he's put a, a law within our heart, a law that sets us free. And so Paul is speaking to, to those who are of Jewish heritage. And as they came to know Jesus, they wanted everybody else to adopt all their traditions, all the things that the way they used to do it. And Jesus said very plainly, I've, I've fulfilled all of that. Why go back to that? 
So let me put it this way. When you think about what you do, what's even more important as far as in life is, it's important what you do, but what's even more important is why do you do it? And this is the uniqueness of the new covenant. The things that we, we do is what we get to do or want to do. You know, think about it this way. If you ever got up on, on, a, on a Sunday morning and say, oh, I have to go to church. Anybody felt that way? I do that every Sunday. No, no. You know, you, know, is, you say, that's my job. I got to go to church. Okay. Now, we need to change that whole language. It's not what I have to do. It's what I get to do. If you ever, you know, got up and you go, oh, I hear this all the time. I, got, I have to read my Bible. You know, saying, I have to read Bible. I get to read my Bible. Or you could put it in another place when, when uh, somebody at church says, hey, I want you to memorize the verse of the month. Oh, do I have to? It's too long. It, I don't like the way it's phrased. It's not the, it's not the translation I use or whatever it might be. Okay. No, I don't, I don't have to memorize a verse in a, in a translation I've never memorized before. And I'd never memorized Galatians 5.1 before. It's not I have to as I... I get to, because that truth will go with me wherever I go. This inspired, this inspired truth right from God is we get the privilege of taking God's word everywhere we go when we put it in our heart and mind. But you could really say that about anything in life. Why do you do what you do? Well, I don't care what it is. Why do you do what you do? If your life is dominated, that this is what I have to do, then I think you're missing the freedom that we have in Christ. We, we want to get to the point where whatever we do, it's not what I have to do, it's what I get to do. Now, I want to be Pollyannish here, which Pollyannish means basically mean, uh, everything is nice, you know, it's a rainy day, but it's sunshiny. Now, we're not, we're not denying the reality of life. I mean, I put it this one in your outline. We don't like everything we do, but we see the value and joy of doing it as well as who we're doing it for. Um. I've been, I've been blessed in so many different ways in my life. One of the, probably apart from Jesus, the, probably the greatest way I've been blessed is I, um, I, I married probably the most unselfish person in the world. Alice is just, he's, she's the most, un, I mean, she, almost to a fault. Anybody know people like that? They're so unselfish to a fault. I mean, you're, you try to do something for them, and they're always, they always turn around. It's where they're, well, no, 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 what can I do for you? Well, that's, that's how Alice is, Okay. And, and, and so all the time, I'm trying, but how, how can I figure out what she would like to do before she says, well, what would you like to do, you know? And, and so it, it, as we think about that, well, there's sometimes, you know, when I, when I can get her to divulge what she'd like to do, I'll find out when she finally says something, I go, well, yeah, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> you ever get that? I wish I hadn't asked the question. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to go window shopping. Window shopping? I mean, I, I'm kind of the hunter idea. You know, when, when I go... When I go to stores or I go to the mall, I want to get in there and I want to what? I want to get out, okay? But that's not how women who, who just want to have a leisurely day, they, they, they can spend an entire day shopping and never what? Buy anything. I thought, what, what's the point of that, all right? But, you know, if I can talk her in there, but, but I thought, well, oh, I have to go window shopping or I have to go to the mall with her. But, but really, when I do it, you know, I get blessed by that. Why do I get blessed? Not because I like necessarily the, the thing we're doing, because I love Alice. And if, if that, if, if, she, if she loves that and I can be with her, then, then I, I, don't, I don't care about doing something I don't like because I'm doing something that I love, which is spending time with her. 
then I see the value of that. And, and from that, I get joy. And I realize that not only who I'm doing it for, I'm doing it because of her, but I'm doing this because that's how Jesus told me how to live, right? When you love someone, you'll do, any, that you'll do things you won't do out of love that you would fight if it was just obligation, right? That's not on my job description. When I got, when I got married, I said, death do us part, but nothing about going window shopping. That wasn't on there. I, I, didn't, I didn't make that vow when we stood up, okay? But when you love someone, you'll do whatever. And let me say, this is good Bible. In 2 Corinthians, I have in your outline the passages. Let me just quote them to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I, I've quoted this sometimes in communion services. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, and he died for all, and here's the, here's the kicker, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So whatever we do in the Christian life, it's not because we have to, and that might be our initial feeling. We might not like what we're feeling we should do, but after you see the joy and the value of doing it and who you're doing it for, it's because you want to. I want to do this because how much God loves me. Or to put it another way, this gets very practical. Jesus wanted to make an object lesson of that. In John 13, and this, again, kind of the communion service um, picture, uh, he got him up for the Last Supper and got to the place. And if you're going to Israel with us, we might get a chance to be in that room. It all depends upon the time in our itinerary uh, where they think he did the Last Supper with the disciples. But he got there, and uh, everyone, and, and when they ate, they, they laid down and and usually your feet was next to someone's face, pretty close to it. And so before that would happen, you want to make sure everybody's feet are what? Clean, right? They've been washed. And so they got there. There was no servant there, which was an anomaly because someone had to do that task, which no one wanted to do, no one liked doing. And so they, they, they got into the room, and they're all kind of looking at the pecking order here. Okay, a servant is supposed to do this. Even Jewish people didn't usually wash people's feet. Someone else had to do that. And so they're looking at, well, what number am I? On a scale of 1 to 12, I might not be number 1, but I don't think I'm number 12. Somebody else is going to have to wash our feet. And that's when Jesus picks up the towel, washes their feet. And uh, they're pretty amazed by that, Peter, even more than anybody else. And and he wanted to refuse uh, Jesus washing his feet. And, of course, that's another principle. Sometimes we need to receive someone serving us, just like we are to serve other people. Think about Wynema right now. You've got to receive someone helping you as well as helping others. Uh, but at that point, um, Jesus makes a comment on this. I mean, obviously they realized he was giving them an example, but he said, I want you to understand, this is not only an example, but you get the benefit of it. He said, if you know these things, which I've just done, and, and apply them to your life, blessed are you if you do them? What is he saying there? If you understand the, the joy and value of serving someone else and doing it because you recognize how much I have served you and how much blessing you'll be to someone else, you get a bigger blessing than the person you do it for. And Acts, which is interesting, and Acts, almost out of the blue, it is said of this, which isn't recorded in the Gospels, it said, you know, even our master said it's more blessed to give than to what? And you think that makes absolutely no sense until you've been in on that, right? When, when you, you get a blessing out of giving, even more so than receiving. 
And so as we think about the Christian life, it, it sets us free. It's not a have-to religion. It's a want-to. I, I, I get to do this. One other past I couldn't resist putting it in here. Hebrews 12, 2. Yeah, what is the Christian life? And they were missing this. And I'm putting this on for a purpose. Is they were missing the simplicity and purity of the gospel. And they were adding to it. And because of that, they were, they were missing. The Christian life is really about fixing your eyes on who? Jesus. And isn't that what Hebrews 12, 2 says? Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, did Jesus like going to the cross? No. I mean, he prayed earnestly and fervently, take this cup from me. He didn't want to do that on a human level. That wasn't, that wasn't a, a physically joyful experience that, that he experienced when he was tortured on the cross. But he saw the joy and value it was going to give others. And it was going to be obedient to God the Father. And because of that, he went there with joy. And that's what he wanted to set people free to experience. So, that's the sermon before the sermon, right? But we're going to race through Galatians 2, 1 through 10, in which where, where Paul now says, well, is this, is this really true? I mean, I, I know, Paul, you're saying it, but <laughs> is this really true? Is this really the truth about the gospel? It's all about getting to do what you want to do and, and getting to do what is going to get the greater blessing, getting to do that which pleases God because of what he's done for you. Is it really Jesus and Jesus alone? This, this is like the power steamer. I mean, is it going to take all the wrinkles off my face? This, this can't be true. So just in 10 verses, I'll give you the, the summary outline of what, he's, what, he, what he says to them. And what he does here, and in the back of your outline, I put it this way. Is the message of we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and by Christ alone true? First of all, he said, well, let's get some confirmation. And this confirmation about the message was confirmed in private but, excuse me, by the other apostles in Jerusalem. Here he says in Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I, had, which I preached among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. Now, Paul often writes like a lawyer. I mean, he, he writes in long sentences. Every phrase modifies another phrase. You want to make sure people get... The, the, the clarity and the specificity of what is being said. But let me try to put it simply as this. Paul said, look, at, I already told you, I got the gospel right from the source. It got it from Jesus. He said, I got, I got thrown off my, my little donkey and, and Jesus appeared to me and I was miraculously saved by the one who, who called me from my mother's womb. And I want you to know that, that this, is, this is not just a popular message because I got it from other people. In fact, my life lives that out. I got, I got to know Jesus, and then after, right after that, I took off. I was gone for three years. I was in Arabia for three years. That was kind of my seminary training. And then 14 years, I was serving Christ, and I didn't really spend any time with the other apostles. Well, I actually did, and that was recorded in Galatians 1. I spent a few days with Peter, uh, 15 days, and with James, 
kind of confirming very briefly my message, but I've been gone. And so this is a, I've been giving a message directly from Jesus. Now, this message that was directly from Jesus, you're saying, well, I can't believe that because that's this hearsay. That's your say. You're saying, well, how do we know that agrees with the other apostles? In fact, we've talked to the other apostles, and they don't believe what you believe. So Paul goes, okay, I'll go back to Jerusalem. I'll go back to Jerusalem, and I'll do it in private because I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Uh, and I had this fear a little bit that, that if, if we don't get this straight, it's going to mess up the whole mission of the church. He wasn't fearful that what he was saying wasn't true, but he was fearful that somehow they wouldn't present in a way that was confirming of the truth of what it was all about. And he had gotten a revelation from God to, let's make sure you had this meeting. But what happened here is that the message was confirmed. It's like, it's like buying an iron, okay, that you've never seen before. Now, it, we, we did see the, uh, it, it worked in demonstrations, so we bought that iron. But I would have loved to have been some people with me that were people uh, that I trusted about ironing and, and people that had already bought that particular uh, iron last year and had just loved it for an entire year, but they weren't there. And what Paul is saying, look, at, I, I, okay, I don't need them confirming what I have to say, but I'll get it confirmed so that this message will be unmistakably clear. This is the message of Jesus. It's Jesus alone. Now, I put in your outline this. When you want, to, when you want to know if God's guiding you, one is use Scripture to guide you, and you can sometimes use any even fear to guide you. But I, Paul said, I had got a revelation. Now, he got straight Scripture from, from God. We don't get that. But we do have Scripture. And what, what we do measures up with what we're doing or going to do. Then we know where God's guiding me. But if I can't back up whatever I'm doing with Scripture, then I have a question whether that's just me doing it or whether that, that's what God wants me to do. Secondly, you know, fear. What, what does our emotions do with us? And some people run their life on emotions. I'm not saying that here. But emotions are sometimes a trigger for us to think more deeply about something that will motivate us to do something we might not have done without that. Paul, in many ways, was a fearless kind of guy. Isn't that your picture of him? <laughs> he wasn't afraid of anybody. I don't care what anybody thinks. This is, this is the truth. But, but then he began to think, my fear is not my personal fear, but my fear is for other people that won't get it if I don't, and I'm not willing to go through the, the steps to confirm the message. Does that make sense? And so sometimes uh, we, should not be fear, we should not be fearful personally about things, but we ought to be fearful for other people. Does that make sense? But then he goes on. Okay, the message was confirmed in private, but then it was not compromised in principle or practice in public. Now, he's, he's going to speak kind of a long in, way to present this, but hopefully you'll, you'll get it if I, as I try to explain it. And there's reasons for, this, for us to live it out. So after he meets with the apostles and they say, yeah, you got the right gospel, you got the right message, he goes on and says this, but not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren, it says pseudo, pseudo Adolphos. You know, you heard of pseudo people? This is, that's the word for false here. These are pseudo brothers. Pseudo brothers, false brothers, secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. Which, which is an interesting freebie here. He says, you know, you know who are the people who populate churches or populate uh, Christian communities? There are people who want to know about Jesus, who want, people who want to love, live for Jesus, people who want to find out, is Jesus for me? 
But you have some people in there with false motives. They're not here to help people follow Jesus. They're here to mess up people who are following Jesus. These are the spies who are infiltrating the armed forces to mess them up. So sometimes when you wonder why churches aren't better than they are, part of it is because they got pseudo brothers in there or sisters that are messing it up on purpose. But he goes on, okay, they're in there spying out our liberty, our freedom in Christ. Verse 5, but we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. When they want to change the gospel, we wouldn't put up that for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel will remain with you. So they made their message public. We were all together. In fact, if we had more time, we'd go to Acts chapter 15 and we'd see they came out in public that Paul's gospel is our gospel and our gospel is Paul's gospel. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contribute nothing to me. Now, again, this is Paul writing in lawyer language saying, look it, I, I, I haven't changed. I don't need the confirmation of the other apostles because I got it directly from Jesus. Now, stop for a moment. If God were speaking directly to you, would you ever listen to me or, or have to even read this book, right? But Paul got direct messages from Jesus. We don't get direct messages from Jesus. And so Paul was saying, look, I don't need anybody else, but for your sake, I want you to know they heard directly from Jesus, and the messages that Jesus was giving them, Peter, James, and John, are the same one he gave to me. There's no difference. And that's one of the confirmations of the Bible being true is the unity of the message in the Bible. Making sense here? There are no reputation to me. I don't need them, but, but they did confirm it. Verse 7. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, which is the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, which was the Jewish population, for he, this is God, who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me to the Gentiles, which is basically saying you can, you can, know, you can know them by their fruit. How, how, how do we know that God's working with them? He's, he, look at all the fruit, all the people who have fought, come to Jesus through Peter and through me, and we had the same message. And recognizing the grace, the gift of God that had been given to me, James and Cephas, which is Peter and the Aramaic, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so they might go to the Gentiles and they to the uncircumcised. Now, that's a mouthful, you know, reading those verses. But basically saying this. He said, look at that which we agree to in private, we agree to in public. And in case you think, in fact, not only think you've been saying to everybody else, look at Paul's message is not the same message as Peter, James, and John. That's not true. That's not true. In fact, I shared in the, asked in the first uh, service, have you, ever, have you ever heard someone tell you that someone said something and then you went to that person and say, did you say this? And then they said, no, I didn't say that. Have you ever, ever had that happen? And that's what they were doing here. In fact, uh, some writers say that Paul is being very sarcastic. In eight verses, he, used, he referred to Peter, James, and John, uh, uh, I mean, and the apostles over and over and over again. So he, was, he was being sarcastic. You know, you've been appealing to them, but I've been to them, and they're not saying what you're saying, and you better get your story straight because you're going to look very embarrassed. I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm embarrassing you right now because you've been saying... They've been saying this, and they haven't. And if you ever want to be embarrassed somebody, just 
when they say somebody else said something and you find out they didn't say it, then take that person back to them and say, will you get the thing straight? And all of a sudden they're embarrassed because they realize that person did not say that and they're affirming that in public. And so he was saying, look, I want you to understand. Now, I don't, I'm not going to take the time to go through this, but I want you to understand there's a distinction here. They gained the right hand of fellowship, which is a public way of saying, look, we're in agreement. That's what the right hand of fellowship is all about. Uh, we have the same message. It is when you deal with the Bible and you deal with the message of the Bible, uh, there, there are times that we need to understand there's a distinction between changing the, the message and changing the method. And this is pretty critical. He, said, he, he gave an illustration of not changing the message. He, he said of Titus, who everyone knew had... Uh, embraced Jesus and his life had changed. And he said when he went to Jerusalem where all the Jewish people were, and if there's any time you're going to now adopt all the Jewish law, this is the time and the place to do it. None of them required him to do the most obvious thing that he would have had to do. He would have had to been circumcised as an adult. And that did not happen. Why? Because that would have changed the message or the understanding of the message that is by by. Uh, through grace, by grace, through faith in Christ alone. That would have changed everybody's perception of that. That's not in here, but we could, we could insert it here. There was another man that Paul was very close to. His name was Timothy. And in Acts chapter 16, Timothy went to Jerusalem, and he was half Jew, half Greek in terms of racial diversity, it is that he had him circumcised. Why? Not because the, the reason he had him circumcised because it wasn't going to change the message, but it was going to change the method. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I've become all things to all men in order that I might save some. And that's the missionary mandate. If you go into another country and they dress a certain way, you better dress that way if you want to have a platform. If you go to a certain country and they eat certain foods, you, you better start eating foods you don't like and, and, and show that you... Respect them and love them by adapting to their culture. But adapting to someone's culture is not changing the message. It's just showing love to people. Does that make sense? When you, even in our country, you go to various parts of the country. There's certain things people do in one part of the country. They, they're not, they, don't do another, that's not, uh, they don't do another part of the country. That's not being hypocritical unless it's a moral issue, right? If it's a moral issue, then yeah, we don't compromise. If it's a message about the gospel, we don't compromise. But if it's just external things, it doesn't really matter. And so we need to understand that the message is always true, but the method at times will change. And that change in the New Testament changes in our day as well. So the message was confirmed in private. It was not compromised in public. And then just the last verse, uh, there was a calling to help people in need. And that's basically what he says in verse 10. He says, They only asked us to, remo- to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And, and really, that's a, really a statement of what we said in the very beginning. What, what, is, what is living for Jesus? Is understanding that when you come to know Jesus, you're set free. And when you're set free, you're set free to be the person God has always intended you to be. And when you're the person God has always intended you to be, you'll get to that point in your life when you try to explain why you do what you do, you explain it this way. This is, this is what I get to do. <laughs> this is what I want to do. Even when I don't like it, I, I, I get to do it. I want to. Well, why would you get to do something you don't like to do? Why would you want to do something you don't like to? Because I understand the joy and the value of doing what I'm doing. 
And, I, and I, I recognize whom I'm doing it for. And it might be the person you're doing it for, but then above that, it's, it's the person you're doing it for. We, we don't live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. We do it to, to help others. And when we help others, we, we get so much more when we give than just always receiving. And so what, what our lives are, it's, it's, it's to be a life in which we become more selfless than selfish. And when we think that's the worst life to, to live, you realize that's the best life to live because when you live that life, you experience the joy and blessing of the Lord. So the bottom line question today, the so what? Are you living for Jesus because you want to? Because you get to. If you're, at, if you're not at that point now, you, you really, you, you don't, you don't quite get it yet. We, we don't leave for Jesus because this is a big burden we have to carry. We live for Jesus because this is what we really want to because of all he's done for us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that we might be people that don't ever mess with your message, that we, we don't change that which is amazing, which is your grace that we recognize that methods might change, but the message never changes. And that the message is a message of, of, of freedom and liberty. It's a joy as we set people free to follow the plan that you've always desired for us to follow and to know and to live out because you don't just live outside of us, you live within us. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning that, that might not know you, that they might make that step to say, Jesus, I, I, I want to know you. I admit my need, and I want to turn from my sin. I, I really do believe that Jesus did fully pay the penalty for my sin on the cross. And I choose and commit today to believe in you and to follow you as my Lord, the leader of my life, my God, and my Savior, the forgiver of my sins. Help us to be the people that live joyously and faithfully and firmly because we want to. We want to please the one who's done so much for us. And we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.